Welcome to Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky, where we help you to create more safety and enjoyment in the bedroom. I'm Natalie Viers, a pleasure and intimacy coach. And I'm Rocky Peterson, Yoni massage practitioner and pleasure educator. This is a space where you get to open your mind, be free of your inhibitions and play. Welcome to another episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. I'm Rocky. And I'm Natalie. And today we have a guest. We are welcoming my friend Damien Bolaire, whose name I just learned how to pronounce correctly. <laughs> and Damien is, he refers to himself as a pragmatic visionary, and his expertise is in the realm of intimacy. And Damien, I would love, you're here because out of everyone that I follow and know in this wonderful thought leader community that we've created online in the social media sphere, you are one of the voices that I resonate with most, that I trust most when it comes to understanding this incredibly nuanced and complex subject. And I was just saying before we hopped on here, it's because you have uh, quite a gift for integrating multiple perspectives and, and finding that through line and communicating that. And so you have, you've developed your own perspective, uh, your own sort of framework and approach for understanding how we relate to each other. And I would love to hear kind of some of the backstory for what brought you to this place of creating this and how you began. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, wait. Well, before you do that, I'm dying to hear pragmatic visionary. I got to know what that is. Tell me what that is first. Then then roll into the backstory, okay? <laughs> yeah. Pragmatic visionary. It's a title my my partner actually inspired me into by reflecting back kind of my approach. I have very big visions. I have a very big vision for where I believe we can go as humanity and where I would like to go as humanity. And at the same time, I have a pragmatism in that I'm most interested in what are the structural foundational building blocks that are inarguably present in all of us. So when we look at intimacy, what are the building blocks that occur irrespective of gender, sexual orientation, preferences, like what is actually basic to all of us? So I kind of have a big vision but I'm interested in actually what are the steps to get there? What are the structural pieces? Because without that, we don't actually affect any change. It's just dreaming. Um, wow. So. That, that sounds like a show all by itself, just dissecting that. But yeah, I just got this vision of like connective tissue, <laughs> like the meat and, uh, that connects all the things and like the, the middle ground we all meet upon. <laughs> Okay, so we might have to, you know, circle back to some of that because that sounds like some juicy stuff that I'm sure that, you know, people, you know, want to hear more about. But everything that I share will, will involve that, you know, everything that I share will be coming from that, those two endpoints, you know, so we'll, we'll cover it in because I have a vision for where we can go. And that's kind of like my big expansiveness that I'll speak to. But then I'll also get really into the details of like, what does that actually mean on a day to day basis? So mm. yeah. yummy. Natalie asked for my, my backstory, you know, and, and truthfully, my backstory is probably no different from anyone who ends up teaching anything. You know, it's mm. one that's inspired by pain, you know, doesn't work. I was, you know, my early experiences with intimacy and, you know, both romantic intimacy in terms of being attracted to, to girls and also friendships was filled with pain. I had friends who betrayed me. I was quite outcast. I didn't really fit in anywhere. My early experiences of girls were rejection and humiliation and ridicule. So I had a lot of pain around like, what is this? Like, I have this strong impulse. You know, obviously I wasn't able to self-reflect at that level when I was that young. But as I grew up, it's like there's this strong impulse to connect, to be in relationship with others. You know, and not just romantic relationship, all kinds of relationships. And then there's all this shit that isn't working and it hurts. So how do I understand that? How do I understand it so I have a different experience? How do I understand how to relate to women so I have a different experience? The one, one that isn't humiliation and rejection and ridicule. How do I create friendships that aren't 
ones that are always keeping me on the outside or bullying or so forth. So that's mm. really my starting point of what what led me to explore this. And also, I guess, just my natural proclivity and curiosity for how things work. You know, in, in another lifetime, another different set of circumstances, my mind might have become an engineer. You know, it almost did at one point. But I find human relating much more fascinating than I do inert systems. There's such a reward in exploring human relating once you start to dig into what actually works and start to touch some of those depths that are possible. I find it really interesting what you're saying here because, you know, my day job, so to speak, or, you know, what I'm kind of transitioning out of is construction. And in construction, it is it is relationships. There are customers and there are employees. And, and a lot of what I have been doing is teaching young guys how to be more detailed and take their time and do, do the things that really work in mechanically assembling someone's building. I mean, that's really what we're doing. And it really does play into, you know, who we are as men and what happens intimately because at the end of the day, it's a process. It's a sequence. You know, it is the details. It is components and pieces and parts and, you know, in some cases, materials. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like you can really relate to that. Yeah. You know, and I like what you said there, because when you're working in construction, you're doing two things, right? You're, you're working at the, the systemic organic level. I mean, organic meaning like you're working with structural materials of building a building, right? So that's one system. Right. And then the other system is the organization of humans. And right. So pretty much everything that we do in the world kind of sits on those two things. There's the organization of humans, which is kind of the internal experience of what's occurring. And then there's the external experience, which is the things that we build, the things that we create. Mm. What's interesting to me is it's like both of them have rules, right? That the way that you build a building has rules. You, you put this here and you put that there and you drill this bolt here and you get this effect and that's what happens. And you need to build the building based on a set of structural rules. And if you don't follow them, the building will fall over, right? It just won't work. In a sequence. Yeah, a sequence. And relationships are the same, but, but they have an extra variable to them. And they have the extra variable to them, which is human consciousness, right? The building structure doesn't have human consciousness. When we go to relationships, we have my consciousness and your consciousness now in interaction. And there is predictability to it, but there's more complexity. There's more complexity than the building. There's more complexity than the materials in the building because we have two beings with their own sets of volition. But there are rules. If I say something to you, there is a pretty predictable reaction that you'll, you'll give to it. If I insult you, you're going to react in a somewhat predictable way. There's going to be a range of options, but you're going to react in those ways. And so when we understand those kind of rules of relationship, then we're able to structurally build, grow, and develop relationships that work, that are beautiful. You know, same with a building. Are you excited to explore the world of pleasure? If so, head to Getting Off with NatalieAndRocky.com, where you can choose your own adventure. So can you plan them? I mean, you know, building has plans. That's the I, the organic piece with the consciousness, right? Because with yeah. like with, with a constantly evolving consciousness on the other side that we're working with, the variables are going to change. The impulses are going to change. It's more like can, how how well can you plan a dance? I guess you can re really choreograph the whole thing. <laughs> and I mean, that's that's an interesting question. I really like that question. Can you can you plan a relationship? You know, and my my impulse is to say yes, but it looks nothing like the way that you'd plan a building, right? And I'm not sure I could actually speak to what that is. Like, it's like kind of the first time I've heard that that question that way, and I've like oh, almost want to sit and like digest that and like chew on that question for a bit. Can you plan a relationship? I'm like. Yes, I believe you can. And we, we attempt to do it all the time, right? You know, like marriage is a form of attempting to plan a structure of relationship. You know, we get marriage and we sit into it, we settle into a form, right? And we have different legal structures that we use to support to plan a relationship. We have different sets of agreements around, are we monogamous? Are we polyamorous? Are we open relating? So when, you, when we say we plan, I would say, yes, it's, it's the way that we navigate our values and desires Expectations. Expectations, you know, logistical, you know, ideas. 
how do we navigate those two things and negotiate them into a form where we both thrive? And if we get that wrong, we erode. We, we have a degrading relationship. If we get them right, you know, we thrive. It's kind of like that saying, like, man plans and God laughs, right? Like, I think in order to have a, like, a healthy, successful relationship, we have to have this variable present that deals with the unpredictable and life lifing, right? You can plan to a certain extent, but then there maybe part of that plan is how do you respond to what you can't plan? So I have a kind of an inter- interesting analogy. I, I think to a degree, sometimes we might plan by what you kind of started out with, and that is pain. You know, we in a building, let's say we try and throw something up and we didn't have a plan and it collapses. And then, okay, so we go next door and we do the same thing and it collapses. And it's like, okay, what worked on this one and what worked on that one? And let's bring it to the next one. And then if you've got a couple people that have done the same thing, you know, like my partner now has had some failures of her own and some of her failures have been quite similar to some of my failures. And it's like, okay, we can agree that we're not going to do some of those kinds of things because we both know they don't work. We both have seen that collapsed building and let's build a building together and let's use both of our failures and let's listen to each other as we build this building. And now we've got something that's pretty robust. So, you know, it can be something that, you know, kind of transpires organically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's that, that to me is evolution, right? Evolution right. Is, is a process of everything is going to fail, you know, in some form or another. And it's like, what, what do we find that works and take that forward? And, we, and then we take that forward into a more complex set of circumstances and then it fails. And then we take what works from that into an increasingly more complex. And through that, we are an evolving process. And, you know, I see, you know, I, that's what I heard in your, we're in this evolving process if we have the right perspective, you know, I can also take my failures and give up, you know, but if I have an evolving or growth mindset, I take those failures and go, okay, how do I not repeat those? And I also want to just weave in what you said there briefly, Natalie. I like the word dynamic. You know, I think that we're in a dynamic negotiation. When we're in a partnership, we're in a dynamic negotiation because our values change as we evolve, you know, and if we're in a good relationship, we are evolving and growing through it. So we're in this constant dialogue which is the dance, right? We're in this constant dialogue of where are we right now and how do we navigate from here and where are Mm -hmm. we right now and how do we navigate from here? And so there's both a structural component to it and then there is also the emergent property. Yeah, what a description of presence individually. Where am I right now and and how do I want to move from here? And in healthy relating, we're just taking that same concept and, and applying it together. When Rocky first said planning from pain, where I thought he was going with that is this phenomenon that a lot of people seem to be stuck in, which is letting the pain inform the plan, which looks more like focusing on what they don't want to create, which due to the way that our unconscious works, tends to create more of what isn't wanted because that's where the focus is. And I think it's a reflection of kind of where everybody is in this conversation currently that the conversation automatically went to the place of focus on what is working and build with that because that's a gross mindset. That is one of the keys to success is is keeping your focus on more of what you do want and creating from there. So I thought that was interesting that that reflection was going to be brought in there and we just kind of skirted right over it. But yeah, yeah. well, you know, there are plenty of people that, uh, you know, are on their first building and yeah, it collapsed, but they still kind of nailed something together and threw a tarp over it and called it good enough. And they've been there ever since. And so, True. you know, not everybody adopts growth. True. Very true. That right there is an opportunity that not everyone recognizes. So tell me more about your framework and just how you have formulated your thinking about around your approach. The way that I kind of have structured it is that I've identified 
four kind of major things that I believe exist inside of an evolutionary relationship, you know, a relationship that is based on this kind of evolving principle. They're not necessarily four things that need to exist in all relationships, but I think that they're things that apply to an intimacy that is desiring to evolve and to grow and to experience more, more depth, more, just more, moreness, right? And originally I had these four things organized in a kind of Venn diagram, but I've, I've been reworking that lately into more of a pyramid model, a bit of a hierarchical model, because be, I have been identifying that some of them are requirements for others to emerge out of. Whereas in the Venn diagram, it kind of looks like everything can kind of be autonomous. And I'm like, well, I've identified that not really. There are certain things, conditions that need to be met for, for these other properties to emerge, for these other possibilities to emerge. And so the model that I've been, been playing with is at the basis relating, at the basis communication. It's, it's our, you know, it's, it's, it's the way that we communicate with each other. You know, that is the basis of all relationship. And that is kind of inarguably necessary in all relationships. You have to communicate, right? And and the ability to go deeper in a relationship, the ability to feel more connected, the ability to like have a good time is all based on how we communicate. You know, you are, you'll have a fun date or a boring date based on how you communicate, right? So it's pretty essential. And so that's that's the kind of base one. So like how do we develop the skills to become really good communicators? How do we become really good relators, which is based on the way that we listen and the way that we express? And then also another feature that I call attuning, which is the way that we kind of come into we. You know, we shift from I to we, where we where we actually create a, a synergy between us. We talk about attunement a lot here on this podcast. That's yeah. Definitely a pillar. Yeah, and, and when attunement starts occurring, you you feel really good right? It's actually a really beautiful place, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next kind of layer on top of that, I put attachment. And attachment is the way that we bond. We're, we're, we are social organisms and we are designed, literally designed to bond, to attach to others in our social group. Our primary bond is with our mother and our primary caregivers. And after that, we're, we're designed to continue to bond socially and with a mate, you know, we can argue about whether it's more of a bonobo style where we're a social organism where we're bonding with everyone and kind of sex becomes part of that bonding process. That's the argument in Sex at Dawn. Or whether we're more of a monogamous, you know, nature has examples of both, right? Where, where we're more of a monogamous and you, you're designed to bond with one partner and raise a family, you know, and, and secure a, a child with that partner. Maybe we have vestiges of both of them in, you know, inside of our DNA, and that's why they're both being expressed. Either way, that's, that's not the most important part to me. The most important part is the fact that we are wired to bond. We are wired to attach. Now, if our attachment system is not working properly and our attachment system is formed through that primary bond with our mother or our primary caregiver, if that wasn't modeled to us correctly, we, we, we grow up with attachment impairments, with what we call attachment trauma or you know, insecure attachment, you know, different Mm -hmm. labels for it. Basically our bonding mechanism isn't working efficiently. And so we get into relationship and all kinds of problems come up. We get super anxious, we get really avoidant, we have conflicts, we fight, we get triggered all the time. Like our nervous system goes into distress. And what's happened is our nervous system, parts of our primitive nervous system, which are wired for survival, you know, whether I'm going to die or not, is this animal going to kill me or not? Because we've still got this like ancient neurology inside of us overlaid with more recent mammalian social neurology, they kind of get coupled together early on in life. And so our attachment system hasn't sorted itself out properly and our survival mechanisms get triggered. And we think that when our partners, you know, when our partner like turns away from us that we're about to be abandoned, we're going to die. We're about to die. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we're going to get abandoned. We're going to die. And so we're going to like hysterical states, right? Mm-hmm. So the next, the next kind of place is we actually have to understand the way that we bond and we have to heal our nervous system and our attachment system to feel secure. Otherwise, our relationships are going to be an ongoing, endless nightmare of conflict and fighting to avoid being abandoned, right? And we're not even going to know that's what we're doing, but we're going to constantly create fights from our scared animal parts to, to just avoid being abandoned. And we're going to do it in all kinds of weird and dysfunctional ways. 
So we have to understand this and how it works and how to heal it if we're going to have any sense of stability and security and safety and, you know, just like a kind of ongoing like, oh, this is lovely to be in this relationship. So what I heard in that is that a foundational requirement for creating a sense of safety and healthy attachment in a relationship is healing our nervous system. What did that look like for you? Well, and I'm still doing parts of it, right? There are still Mm -hmm. deep abandonment fears. I suspect that that kind of thing is ongoing as we continue relating deeper to each other, don't you think? I do. And I also think that there is an endpoint to it. I do think that there is a point where we, you know, they, they talk about it in psychology, they call it earned secure attachment. You know, people have a secure attachment who had that modeled very well to them when they were children and they don't have the same issues. They don't mm-hmm. have latent abandonment fears and they usually get into long-term relationships. These are the statistics of the people who don't get divorced. They get married in their early 20s and they have 60, 70, 80-year happy relationships, right? Mm-hmm. They have a model of security. Those of us who don't have that, we have to do something what's called earn secure attachment. So we need to earn it. And we earn it through repetition and working with it and repatterning, literally rewiring our brain. You know, we have to repattern our brain, restructure our brain and our nervous system to be secure. And I do think that there's an endpoint where we can resolve that. How much of that for you has been on an individual basis versus actively shared with a partner? So I would say I I created a very strong foundation and scaffold on my own. The thing I had to do on my own was work through the pattern inside of me that had me choose the kind of mates I was, right? When I'm operating from a certain attachment level, there is a certain person or type of person that I'm drawn to, to basically recreate those patterns. So that was the piece that I had to do on my own was like, okay, how can I change my attraction, change what is drawing me so that something else can come. So I'm not continuously meeting the same person over and over and over again and having the same issues over and over and over again. So that was the bit I did on my own and set the foundations for what does it look like to be able to regulate myself? What does it look like to get super anxious? Because I was very, very anxious, you know, and when a partner would would not reply to my texts, I'd go into like full-blown distress states, like really, really high-level ones. Like, you know, that's why I got so fascinated about this level is because I was severely anxious. You know, there was a period of time where I was like self-diagnosing myself as having borderline personality disorder with just just from the extremeness of how anxious I would get, right? So I learned to regulate myself. I don't get that level of anxiousness anymore. It's not present in my system because I restructured my nervous system. Yes. So this is just what I wanted because I asked you here partially specifically to talk about attraction. So I want to explore a little bit. I've moved myself through a process of my own to shift what I'm attracted to. So I want to explore a little bit of what that looks like. I often am saying in my work that I support people through what I call naked hermit crab moments. And um, in the the growth process, we can uh, all relate to the feeling of needing to leave our old hermit crab shell, right? It's become too constricting, ill-fitting. We're just, we're not that shell anymore. And once we leave that old shell and walk out into the open as a little naked hermit crab, we are in the field of pure potentiality. We're in that space, the void, where we can, we have the opportunity to look back at the old shell and recognize the patterns that built it. And then from the void, from the space of potential, make new choices and walk in a new direction toward constructing a new hermit crab home for ourselves that is going to feed better patterns for us. So that's how I describe moving from, for myself, moving from, you know, the patterns that made me into making completely new new choices. Will you relate a bit what that experience was like for you? Yeah. I mean, there are layers to this. The thing that occurs to me, Natalie, is, oh my God, what a vulnerable position, you know? Naked little hermit crab. Yeah. Why do you think so many people avoid growth? 
Yeah. It's freaking terrifying, man. <laughs> yeah. It's scary gotta out, out of there. The got to get out of that shell and go find a new one and, and not get eaten for lunch in the um, interim. It takes tremendous courage. So I would say for myself, there were two, I mean, there were three predominant patterns. One of them I'm not going to talk about on the show, but there were two other predominant patterns that made up attraction for me. You know, and so like if we're going to restructure what we're attracted to, we have to get honest about what it is that we're drawn to and why, you know, there is a, there is a biological component to attraction and chemistry that people speak about, but that's literally to like, like, do they smell good enough? You know, that's, that's all that says. They smell good enough to have a baby with, and that's not really that hard to be attracted to that, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, like that's not people, people exalt that as if this is the highest thing ever. I'm like, no, go to a club and smell every person. And one of them you want to fuck. Like you just, will. you know, (laughs) not a problem. At least one of them, if not several, you know. So attraction for me, things that I was attracted to, there were two patterns. One was the people who I attended to end up in relationship with were safe in that they didn't meet they didn't meet or match me in the level of development and the direction of my life that I really yearned for, but never they weren't gonna stretch, yeah. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't honestly admit it, you know, that that's what I wanted. But they were like safe, and they were safe because I believed that anyone who did want me wouldn't want me. I mean, anyone who did match me wouldn't want me. So hmm. you know, I created those conditions that the people who would match me, I would act like a total awkward mess around. Like, and of course they weren't attracted because I didn't, I didn't know how to be myself near them. I would see that they would have a similar spark to me, and then within like. 10 minutes I've got them on a pedestal and I'm like mm-hmm. worshiping at the feet of them and they're like, Jesus, man, like you only just met me. What are you doing? Right. Yeah. yeah you're going to be my savior. You're going to save me from being alone. You could meet me. Think about what we could do together. Right. So just, <laughs> just pure fantasy. And then I would get into a relationship with people who were safe, who weren't that, you know, cause I'm like, oh, okay, you can't meet me. So I'm, I can kind of relax a little bit around mm-hmm. you. How many relationships do we know of where people are lonely inside of them? A lot, right? A lot, and that's yeah. not that's not what we that's not what we want. Um, we can't save each other from our loneliness. <laughs> no, no. And so, so the the underlying belief around that was like, I don't deserve to be matched. I don't deserve to be met, right? So that was one thing I needed to shift in my attraction, right? The other piece was the attraction, and this is the attachment piece: the attraction to people who didn't want me, right? I would be really, really deeply attracted to people who didn't really want me. They, they were the people that I like dreamed of, you know, that I would secretly masturbate over or whatever, you know, the people who didn't want me at all, right? Mm. People who did want me when I was in high school and stuff, the odd woman who would express attraction, I would run the other direction. Like, hell no, right? <laughs> people who didn't want me, oh my God, let me lust after you forever. So, these are the kinds of things that we have to look at around attraction. Am I moving? And then, and then on the odd occasion, someone who didn't really want me would end up with me, right? Somehow I would ingratiate myself to them and they would like date me and hot sex or whatever. But it was the hotness was predicated on the fact that they were more than 70% out of the relationship. They didn't want to be with me. They were, it was mm-hmm. just hot. They, they were playing out their own thing. They were playing out the other side of what I was playing out with other women. You know, this is a person that is who I want to be with, but you know, like the person who I really want to be with won't want me. So I'll be with this person, you know, it's right. just this- were you creating that dynamic because ultimately you were afraid of that deeper connection that you were really wanting? Definitely. Right. So the interesting thing is that I believe a lot of what we call attraction is just a form of intimacy avoidance. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. intimacy because whenever we're, whenever we're chasing attraction based on someone who doesn't reciprocate, you know, to me there are like a couple of conditions around attraction that if we want to have deep, authentic, really connected relationships, is do they actually reciprocate and want me as much as I want them? Do, do we want to be in relationship with each other? And do I feel secure and safe enough to be myself around them, right? Mm. The problem with those two things, and this is where we get to the third piece, right? We did relating attachment. Once you get those two things in place, most people go, well, that's kind of boring. 
There's no passion there. There's mm-hmm. no there's no tension. There's no push pull. The the edge of exhilaration of the fact that they may leave at any given moment, which mm-hmm. creates really hot chemistry, right? The fact that the avoidant for someone who's anxious, the avoidant is like, oh my god, they might leave, so I'm in a constant elevated state, which we equate with attraction, a form of arousal. Mm-hmm. The avoidant on the other side of it is like the the exhilaration of like kind of not having to commit, right? I don't fully have mm-hmm. to be here. You know, that's kind of exciting. I've got a bit of power over this, right? When we leave that and we go, okay, we're both going to commit. We're going to become reciprocal in our relating. And I feel comfortable to be myself around this person. All of a sudden go, that's boring. There's no passion in that. All the edginess goes away. The edginess goes away, which is where the third piece comes in is polarity. So once we recognize that, we recognize that what we think of as polarity, what most people think of polarity is actually just wounded attachment, is a polarity. The anxious avoidant dance is a polarity, right? Mm-hmm. It's a wounded mm-hmm. dysfunctional polarity. And polarity creates attraction, creates magnetism, creates chemistry, creates tension, right? Tension is where you get elevated, where eros, eros flows in tension, right? Agape, which is kind of more divine love, doesn't require tension. That's familiarity. Right, but eros, which is what we want in part of in a relationship, we you don't want to have a relationship without eros or passion. You know, it's like that's just living with your best friend, which could also be nice, but it's not going to be sexy. So we have to understand that polarity is created through tension of opposites, and then we start having to bring in conscious polarity, which is where we go, oh, what are some of the conscious polarity forms that we can take? Masculine and feminine kind of one of the primary ones. What are the energetics of masculine and feminine? And how do we allow ourselves to have difference in our relationship, but difference that isn't coming from a wounded place, difference mm-hmm. that's coming from a conscious place, you know, which is like, I'm a man and I'm in my masculine, which means I'm different than you. And we have a lot of similarities, which is what has us feel like, ha, oh, relaxed and safe and secure and friendly. And I'm with my best friend and we can spend loads of time together and everything feels good. But how do we also have hot sex? How do we also have passion? How do we also create some hot tension? So That's I have a, a, a little story to share real quick. Mm-hmm. Something I, I just experienced that is uh, very much on topic. So about two and a half weeks ago, I met a man and within a few conversations, he was letting me know that he would like to invite me to spend some time in Maui with him. And so within a week of knowing each other, we had secured my way to Maui and I was going for five days of getting to know each other in Maui. And yes, I very much knew that I had agreed to a pressure cooker second date. <laughs> I knew what I was up to. And I felt I felt very much called to Hawaii and like it was meant to unfold. So I went and there was all of this attraction and connection between this guy. The energy felt warm. It felt present. It felt connected. I hadn't experienced anything with him to make me question whether going and spending this time was a good idea. And I had this experience where I watched on the fifth day, it was like a a switch flipped. And I, I watched every ounce of polarity and attraction drain out of our connection. And like someone pulled the plug out of, out of the energy And I realized in watching that happen that what I had seen unfold on his end is that he had been overgiving and overextending himself and being self-sacrificing over the series of days before and allowing his energy to drain on his end and sort of like not filling his cup. And he sort of like hit this wall and I've been sharing about this experience on my Facebooks. And I know that this, this hits with a lot of women's experience, but sort of this idea that like he was, you know, going off men giving and providing and offering and doing the things, but he wasn't taking care of himself. And then I showed up 20 minutes later than agreed upon due to my time blindness in the ocean. (laughs) And it was like, you know, the hammer of judgment fell on me. And, and suddenly I was, a completely unattractive person to him. And it was so illustrative to me that one of the 
requirements for consciously creating polarity and enjoying polarity in a relationship and stoking that attraction is that each of you has to be self-responsible for getting your own needs met and maintaining your own energy. Because what we tend to do in these unbalanced connections where we're like, it's more transactional and, you know, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn kind of thing is where we get in the habit of looking to each other to try to like fill up our cups and I, we get too dependent on our romantic partner. And so th this guy really fell on his face because he was trying to play out this dynamic with me that I've been guilty of taking part in in the past, but I'm in a different place now and I had been maintaining my own energy and taking care of myself and meditating and doing yoga and taking time away and filling my cup. So I wasn't remotely in the same place that he was. And um, so for me, that was just such an interesting demonstration of, of what can happen to the energy of a connection and how I, I was thankful for the pressure cooker because I got to see the effect of that really fast and like shorten up that timeline. Yeah. I mean, polarity is either something that is unconscious, you know, and just it's there or it isn't and it's driving our relationships or it's something that we similar like attachment. It's like if I don't have any understanding of attachment, it's just there. I fight with my partner. They go avoid and I go anxious. I don't even know what that means. I just know that like I feel uncertain all the time, time and they feel like I'm going to overwhelm them all the time, time, you know, same with polarity is it's like it's there or not. It's like, well, if we're becoming conscious, you know, we have to understand similar like rate relating every single one of these. It's like we have to understand that we're developing a set of skills and tools so that we have choice. Is there a form of unconscious polarity that is not rooted in our wounds yeah you know like this is for example the the attraction of females for the dominant alpha male who earns a lot of money is at the top of the ladder and his attraction for the most attractive kind of demure submissive available woman is so that's more like like biological like we're gonna make good babies kind of i would say it's developmental right so I don't want to go into a developmental map right now, but there is pretty strong evidence that a lot of developmental researchers, developmental psychologists have done for the, for the ways that humanity has developed over time and the way that our consciousness or the level of complexity of our mind develops. And each developmental stage has its own features, right? And I would say each developmental stage has a feature that creates polarity. And so that's what I just described is a common development is common polarity that happens at a certain pretty prevalent developmental level, which is kind of capital that what we what we associate with capitalism and industrial kind of movement is is that you know you go one step before that developmentally and we have traditional polarity, which is like you know the man goes to work and the woman stays at home and takes care of the kids, right? You know it's like that that's a polarity, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. she's she's in nurturer role. And he's in provider role. And that's a polarity, right? And if you are at that developmental stage, that polarity works, right? It'll work, but you're not complex enough to understand there's anything more. But as you develop out of that, you look back at that and go, what is that? I don't, I don't want that, you know? But then what's really interesting is we start heading towards more and more integral consciousness or integrated. We want to bring all of that in. How do, we, how do we welcome all of the layers of polarity in and, and make it all conscious, make it all, all aware so that we can include some of that, right? I have a theory about that. Mm -hmm. By c coming back to being more community-minded and diversifying our resources and, and connections with other humans, because I think like so much of this struggle we have comes down to what we're trying to make romantic relationships do when we used to have such a diverse range of relationships um, by used to, I mean, long, long time ago, but I certainly am finding as I've set the intention in my life to deepen in my existing relationships and to look for those that, that really want to go deep with me, that once we have those, those other resources in place, there's, there's not so, nearly so much pressure on our romantic relationships to be all the things and do all the things. Like some of us women, we try to like, we try to turn a man into a, a girlfriend and like, you know, it, it, we have these expectations of like, be all the things for me. And 
it almost feels like collectively we're evolving beyond this space of just focusing on what we're doing in our partnerships and into this space of like, Mm -hmm. how are we more collectively creating here? Yeah. I mean, in these developmental maps, that is the next place. We're not quite there yet. You know, a lot of us have to get to the point of integration where we're actually able to reflect consciously on those things to actually prepare that possibility. But that is where we're heading. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. back to the question of attraction how would you characterize how you shifted what you were attracted to simply it was a process of seeing what I was attracted to and what that created and then not going in that direction so it was a process of like I'd go out on a date with a woman or you know a date or two and I would see old patterns come up very quickly I would see certain avoidant behaviors by them, or I'd see that we weren't on the same page in some way. And this isn't to be dismissive. Like, you know, sometimes I'd really like this person, but I'd see these things and I'd, and I'd be like, I can't, I'm heading in the same direction again. So I would, I would cut it off. I'd say no, mm-hmm. no to this. So it was a process of, of learning to say no to the, to the same pattern, learning to go, that's, that's what I'm just doing the same thing again. And I'm a no to it. That created the space for something else to come. Was it challenging for you emotionally to open up to new possibilities once you were saying no to what you didn't want? No, actually. Like the the truth is the moment I really got that, like I remember like I was in this process and I was like going on dates with different women and I was kind of like, and I'd just been in a short relationship with someone that I'd, that I'd explored and that wasn't quite it. It felt like it was going to be it, but it wasn't quite it, you know, but it was close and then I've got a couple more of these lessons of like meeting women. I was like, oh, this is really up. Oh, no, same pattern again. And there was like only a few more of those. And I was like, when I finally got the like, no, like I'm a no to this. I remember saying no to one woman. I was like, I'm a no to this. This is not the pattern I want. And I told her, I'm no, I, I'm not continuing. I'm not going to continue engaging with you because there was this push pull happening with her. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. And then within a very short time after that, my, my, my now partner showed up. It was like I was ready. It was like I said, no, I'm done with that. And then all of a sudden there was like a knock at the door and I was like, hey. And I was like, hey, you ready for something else? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, and now we're, we're two years together. There really is something to be said for being a vibrational match for something and, and, you know, the, the experience of resonance and the fact that we work like magnets with each other in this really interesting, complex way. Where are you at, Rocky? Yeah. So where else does this go? Okay. So we've talked about attraction. What, what other elements do you explore in your endeavors here? So, so my model, we've gone through three of the parts now, right? We've gone from relating the structure of our communication into attachment, understanding mm-hmm. our nervous system and the way we bond with each other into polarity, which is creating erotic tension so that we have chemistry. You can okay. think of attachment as we resolve attachment, we learn to feel secure mm-hmm. with each other in a way that feels safe. And when we feel safe, we get to be more of ourselves, and we, we create similarity. We create sameness and sameness is great for like I feel really good with this person. We're on the same page. We're kind of creating life together, but there's no tension there. So when we create polarity, we create erotic tension. So we're we're like, but it has to build out of safety for it to be sustainable. And then we're like, okay, we can now intentionally apply certain dynamics, you know, and you can, you can go from all the way from like role-playing DS dom sub style dynamics will create hot polarity to masculine feminine kind of roles to like, you know, and you can just put them into the relationship in certain ways. Can I make an, an analogy here? A lot of the time when I'm when I'm talking about intimate relating, I'm I'm referring to the analogy of a dance. And as you're climbing the pyramid here, what I'm sensing is that on the level of attachment where we're creating safety, that's kind of like the level that I am most often I feel coaching to for people. And when I'm speaking to that space, the advice that I'm most often giving is that when we're dancing with someone else in intimate relation, we we don't get to direct the other person's footwork or tell them how to move. If we want to alter the dance, our only choice is to alter our own footwork and give the other person a chance to decide how they want to respond to 
our different footwork, basically. You know, we we change the dance by changing our participation in it, not by trying to change the other person's participation in it. What it feels like when we get to the level of of consciously creating polarity and consciously applying certain dynamics is that at that point, you are beyond the point where you've learned how to create that harmonious dance together and how to fall back into dancing harmoniously together when you inevitably come into disharmony. And at that point, you have created the level of safety together and have that kind of agreement in place so that you can then actually consciously talk about and make those set agreements about applying those dynamics. What a lot of people try to do is they try to use those dynamics to create a structure that gives them something that I think they think really feels like safety. Um, to me, it looks more like control. And so I'm just I'm just realizing that there's a really interesting foundational layer here where it really doesn't make any sense to apply any of those conscious dynamics until you have figured out how to create intimate safety with each other in how you're dancing. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's why people who get really enamored by polarity teachings and try and get into polarity, but they haven't dealt with their attachment, you just make a mess. You won't actually have polarity. It'll like, you'll get something hot for a little bit and you'll play with these roles and then you end up just making a mess and you're, you're just fighting and triggered and upset. And it's like, it doesn't, you can't do it that way. It doesn't work. You will continuously create polarity through arguments and conflict and the fight and fuck cycle. Yeah, the fight and the fuck cycle. Yeah. I, I had someone come on to uh, one of my posts recently and make an assertion that to be feminine, one must respect men. And I thought, what a strange distortion <laughs> of the idea of respect. And, and I understand that that idea comes from polarity teachings that, you know, to be feminist is to be respectful of men. And, and there's such a distinction between respecting men and masculinity and healthy masculinity and, and you know, really honoring men's place in the world versus respecting all men <laughs> regardless of how they behave. <laughs> Someone suggesting respecting men unconditionally, not respecting the individuals. Yeah, yeah. so the, this was this was in response. I was not directly being disrespectful, but I was I was not protecting this man from from the consequences of his own choices, and I was I was letting that be seen, and and someone found that to be disrespectful, and and tried to make that about me not being feminine enough, and I was like, you're just a silly head. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some people out there who attempt to do polarity teachings and, and that's the kind of thing they share. And it's often men doing that. And it's often from a like very distorted power plays. There. It's coming from an insecure place. It's insecure place and dealing with your own shame and just like you need to, if you don't respect me, then, you know, and it's usually just shame defense and it's not what's happening here. You know, like that's not, that's not what I'm interested in. It's not what I think is healthy or valid. Polarity is something that is also earned, right? You know, it's also yeah. like we, we develop it and you can't do it. Like we said, from an, from an insecure place, you can't do it from a place when your nervous system is shot. You'll just end up attracting abusive people into your life, you know, yeah. and calling it polarity. Right? If you're still being attracted I, to that, that's what you'll get. I think this frame is the first time that I have so clearly heard it presented that polarity is not an entry point. No, I don't. I think so. that's really that's important. So, so I was telling you before the show that I'm about to release uh, a membership with, with an ongoing thing. And that is based on these first two pillars, relating and attachment, because most people need a lot of work there before they're ready for these deeper places. You know, I have needed a lot of work there as well. And if we don't know how to communicate, in ways that support thriving. And if we don't know how to bond in a way that feels secure, trying to put polarity on there is like pouring rocket engine into a beat up, you know, a, a beat up it, board, right? It's like, and let's just pour high octane fuel into it. It won't drive. <laughs> it's like we're walking around trying to put human sized band aids, human shaped band aids on, on open wounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's make sure now that people can. Uh, get a hold of you, you know, because I mean, you got a course there, you got, you know, something, I mean, you know, that's part of what our show's about is, 
yep. giving people that additional information that uh, so they can go to the next level. So do you have a do you have a website? Do you have an email that you want to put out there for us? I mean, I think you're going to be releasing this show a little bit before I'm ready. I'm currently fully overhauling everything. So in about uh, looking at about six weeks away from launching everything, I have a new website coming up. I have a newsletter, a fortnightly, a bi-week, like every two weeks. I don't know what you Americans call it. We say fortnightly, which means every two weeks. Newsletter coming out and a podcast, which I'm doing with my partner, and this membership coming out. So all of that is in play. I think you'll be releasing a little bit earlier. So you can either look up evolutionaryrelating.org and sign up to the newsletter there, and then you'll get informed when it's all in place. Or if you're listening to this podcast, you know, after September 2023, you can go to evolverelating.com. So we're, I'm, I'm changing the domain name. It's going to evolverelating.com, and you'll be able to sign up to the newsletter there, and then you'll just you'll get everything from that place. Signing up to that one email will get you a free four-part course, which I'm developing a four-part email mini course based on these four things that I've been talking about. We're still get, getting to the fourth one. So I'm, I'm writing a, an email course based on that. And that's what everyone who signs up for the newsletter will get as a kind of lead-in sequence so that when you start receiving the newsletter, I don't have to keep reiterating these four things. It's embedded into where we're going and what we're talking about and how they all weave together. Um, I just feel like you put so much genius in everything you create. Like the, I, when you describe the stuff that you create, I can feel all of the energy that you pour into it and all of the passion. And I follow you on Facebook. People want to connect with you there. That's that's one of the places where I mean, I've I've got all the gold from you coming <laughs> coming through Facebook. <laughs> and keep in mind that. You know, most people are listening to this podcast from the beginning. So there's there's going to be people discovering you over time, rolling through these. So it's yeah. good to have all all of that info in place. Are you offering any one-on-one work or anything of that nature? Or are you solely focused on? Once the membership starts flowing, I, I currently am doing a little bit of one-on-one. But once that starts flowing, I'm going to diminish that and probably only work with a few existing clients. Um, mm-hmm. My 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 enjoyment is more in groups. I like working trying, with groups. Trying to expand um, that reach. Yeah, I like well. working with groups. I mean, honestly, the, the parts that I feel most alive is working with really large groups. I, mm-hmm. The most enjoyment I've had facilitating is like 150 people. I would love to work with hundreds of people at once. That's really fun for me for some reason. So I like working with groups, but I do a little bit of one-on-one. I feel like we're going into a wrap-up, but before we go into the full wrap-up, let me give you the fourth piece, right? So we've got relating, attachments, polarity, and then the last piece I call transpersonal. And the transpersonal is like, again, something, when we try and jump to the transpersonal without taking care of some of these foundational pieces, this is what we call spiritual bypassing, right? This is, this is love and light that is completely ungrounded. But when we are grounded, in this stuff. The transpersonal is kind of where we're heading. The transpersonal is when we are able to take a perspective bigger than our own small self or our own ego. And when we get into transpersonal relating, this is where we get into altered states, union states. This is where we start to experience relating and relationship from higher purpose. We start going into co-creating vision and co-creating purpose and meaning with a partner, you know, we start to understand the unfolding of our own awakening in relationship. I, I like to use the gene keys as a tool that I really like to use in the, in the transpersonal human design a little bit too, even though that's a little bit more structural. The way mm-hmm. that we can look at a design and understand who we are brings us into a perspective that sees a transpersonal perspective is a perspective that can see my own personal as an object versus an identified part of myself. So it's when mm-hmm. I'm looking at Damien as an object versus identified with Damien. And so when mm. we move into that in relating, we start to awaken through our relating, you know? Um, but again, if our attachment wounds are always flaring up, it's like you, you can't spend much time there. I bet when you zoom out and look at Damien objectively, it's a lot easier to see your own influence and, and kind of how you just being you impacts people around you. Yeah, but and, and at the same time as it's like when I zoom out to that level, I look at myself and I'm like, I love human design. Human design is a lens that really does it for me for, for whatever reason. I avoided astrology for most of my life and then I got into human design and I was like, 
oh, here's a here's a form of astrology that I can get into because it includes astrology. Let, let's nerd out for one second. What's your design? I'm a 4-1 manifester. 4-1 manifester. Nice. I'm a 2-4 yeah. projector. Yeah. Yeah. And so- uh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so when I, when I zoom out to that level, I see- the design of Damien and human design is just one lens. I can use any other lens, but that, that kind of gives us, gives it a structural form. And I can go, the only thing that I need to do is figure out what my function is in the greater whole and play it. And everyone else has an equal, in, equally important function. And all we need to do is figure out our own function. And then how do we create a symphony between us? You know, that's the ultimate thing. How, do, how does Natalie, 2-4 projector, doesn't even need to be a human design, whatever astrology, doesn't even need to be typology at all, but how do you live your essence and how does Rocky live his essence and his natural innate gifts to the fullest and I meet mine and then how do we create a symphony together, a synergy? I love the analogy of a tapestry. You know, we, yeah. we each have our own unique and vibrant color as a thread and then we have a totally different picture when we zoom out and look at how it all works together. Absolutely. And we're going to want to do that collectively. But the reality is if we can't even do that in our intimate relationships, it's like, what, what chance do we have to expand it beyond that? So that's why in this model, it's like we hit the transpersonal. We're starting to relate in this way. We're starting to create shared co-creative synergy with our partner. Now, how do we ripple that outwards from here? How mm -hmm. do we meet other people from that place? You know, mm -hmm. So that's kind of the overarching model. And uh, yeah. That sounds like another show too, how to spin all that into, I mean, it's like, okay, now we're talking about, you know, doing some good in the world. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's taking re relationships into the realm of evolutionary relating. Yeah. And it's like, my background is an environmental scientist. I never really worked in that field, but I was moved by that. I was a permaculture teacher for a long time. I've been moved by that. That's actually my, my biggest dream is like, I want to be back on the farm, like driving an excavator and a tractor and playing with goats, you know, like that's actually what I want to do. That's, that's what I want to do most of all. But I realized that like, I'm not going to be able to get to do that honestly until some part of the collective evolves to that point. Cause the world's going to keep coming knocking with its bullshit until we mm -hmm. all kind of like move up. And I realized that romantic relationships are such a high leverage point because you look on, on social media and there are two things that are most important for people, relationships and money, you know, they're mm -hmm. the things and health, you know, fitness, basically looking good, which ties back to relationships. It's like most people approach fitness so I can look good, so I can attract a mate, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's mate and, and survival. And if you look at money, it's usually like, so how can I attract a mate or how can I look after my family? Right? So even though people are trying to like make their million dollar businesses, it still comes back to either how can I have a mate or how can I look after my family and make, make a really good life with my family. So we come back to relationships and relationship pain. It's such a high leverage point. And if we don't figure out how to stop consuming ourselves with our relational dysfunction, we're never going to move to those higher places. You look at Absolutely. most movies, most songs, it's all about relationship bullshit. It's mm -hmm. all about heartache and heartbreaks and toxic dynamics and, you know, the thing that people go and read magazines about Hollywood. They don't want to read about the star's, you know, philanthropy. They want to read about their relationship dysfunction, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, so we have to clean up there, right? That's a really high leverage point for us to move towards another, another version of the future that could be. Damien, you are one of the examples of people in the world that I think of when I think of, you know, the power of our individual sense of purpose and our individual expression and our passion. And I think there's a lot of ways to go about trying to make the world a better place. Uh, and I think that, oh, not all of them are necessarily the best ways to go about it. And I think that, you know, the nature of intimacy work is that it has to begin within ourselves in order to create any success outside of ourselves. And I truly believe that our only, our only ability to make this world a better place starts with our own evolution, our own growth, 
and honoring ourselves first so that we can then honor what is outside of ourselves. And I just think that you are going to continue to be a really strong pillar and leader. And I honor and respect that in you. And I just want to encourage anyone who listens who would like to delve into this subject deeper. Uh, there's a reason why Damien was my first pick. I just I think that all of this is genius and needed very much in the world. And so may it spread like wildfire. It's very encouraging to see, you know, other people from, you know, other continents, other countries doing such fine work. Thank you, Damien, for what you're doing. And I appreciate and love you for it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that is it for our show for today. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. For more resources and ways to work with us, visit gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. Please don't forget to follow, rate, review, and share the show. Join us again next week for another stimulating episode. We're here to expand your view of what's possible in intimacy and pleasure.